Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Peter Tottleben, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. And today I'm joined in the studio by Father Stephen Alcott and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right, well today we're talking about the mystery of the transfiguration. So Jesus, as we know in the Gospels, shortly before his passion, took Peter, James, and John up to Mount Tabor, and he was transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah appeared to talk about the exodus that he was going to undergo in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter wanted to build booths for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And then the voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The bright cloud shone forth. And then everything disappeared. Jesus was before them, and he charged them not to speak of this to anyone until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We talk about this as the fourth luminous mystery of the rosary, and uh, it's certainly mysterious. Uh, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, can you lead us into the mystery? Shed some light on the mystery for us. Well, it's it's a story which is particular to the synoptic tradition. Sure. So... uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story. John does not, interestingly enough. Now, that's sort of traditional for John. So usually with the story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, tells it tells the story. John won't tell it. He'll tell it a different – or if he t- the man is important, he'll tell it another way. I think uh, with John's gospel, um, he focuses on the fulfillment that's going on here. So first of all um, – it's interesting, say, in Matthew's Gospel, for instance, this happened six days. It says after, uh, it says six days after Jesus reveals the, the cross and his, the self-denial that is necessary to be an apostle. Uh, Peter has been at Caesarea Philippi with him. It's interesting that Caesarea Philippi happens to be six days' walk from, Mount, from Nazareth and sure. Mount Tabor. So it's very, very interesting. It should be just this amount mm-hmm. uh, to me. But, you know, at Caesarea Philippi, of course, you know, at this pagan place, uh, Peter is given this mission to be the rock on which uh, the Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, be the leader of the army that, that will be triumphant. Uh, when he begins to talk about his cross, uh, Peter remonstrates with him. And then we have this... Uh, expedition to the top of Mount Tabor. And Tabor is not too far from Nazareth. It's um, it's an amazing place. If you go up there, it's a very steep mountain. You get a God's eye view of the entire surrounding area. It overlooks all the towns and, and, and mountains around it. And it is a place, I remember it having been there, as a of windswept wonder and silence. Mm. You know, it is a, it is a numinous place, a holy place. 
uh, just in the midst of the sighing pines. And it is in this place that Jesus reveals himself. Uh, now, St. Thomas says, uh, well, actually, I leave St. Thomas to you, you know, but what happens is his body begins to shine, and it's as if what the, the apostles are able to see what they will be seeing in the resurrection body of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But a number of a number of points come through, one of which is uh, the this is another manifestation of the presence of the Blessed Trinity. Just as at the baptism, now here on Mount Tabor we have the Son of God, instead of passing through the waters and the dove descending, we have the bright cloud, which we see in the Old Testament, descending upon the uh, tent of meeting of Moses, about the old, the, uh, the, which was the predecessor to the temple, and the the bright cloud that comes down to consecrate the temple itself in Solomon's time. Which is Jesus' body. Well, yeah, which yeah. is revealed later as as something that points to Jesus' body, yeah. right? And now, and uh, the, the spirit that overshadowed our Blessed Lady as she conceived the body of Christ, now he is brought here, and then the words, the Father speaks again, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and this recalls actually a number of passages. It recalls Psalm 2 which is the royal psalm that points out, uh, you know, um, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. You know, so this is the fulfillment of the psalm too, the royal psalm that prophesies to King David and Messiah. And Genesis and uh, Isaiah 42, where um, the suffering Messiah is revealed. You know, pre- uh, that, let's see. Behold, my servant whom I uphold my chosen, upon whom my soul delights, uh, my soul delights, in whom I am well pleased. I have my, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And so, just as Caesarea Philippi, we have a mission not just to Israel for the apostles, but now the mission of Christ is is seen to be opened up to the whole world by this reference to Isaiah and the message, the power by the Spirit of God, which will go all to the nations. The other interesting thing about this, of course, is the difference between this body and the body in the upper room on the day of Easter is that there are no wounds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is, is this, a, this is a revelation uh, not only of how Christ's body will be, but in some, in some ways more intensely uh, what the apostles' bodies will be mm-hmm. because they are now caught up. You know, in Moses' time, the priest had to leave the cloud. But now they remain, and they remain with Christ themselves, overshadowed with Him by the cloud of the Spirit. So that we have, we've we've had the, the transfiguration so beautifully set for us. We've had the transfiguration explained as a, a theophany, both that Jesus is God and a theophany of the Trinity, that to into which the apostles are invited. Um, Father Stephen Alcott, when you look at the transfiguration, consider the mystery of the transfiguration. How do you see it? Like, what do you see going on in that mystery? I see mainly um, Christ wanting to show his disciples, well, only three of his disciples, three of his closest disciples, um, something to look forward to, Mm. something that will encourage them and strengthen them as they go, as everything figuratively, figuratively and literally starts to go downhill. Um, sure. you know, in, in, in his mission, um, as he is disfigured, um, by the scourging of the pillar, disfigured 
by the crown of thorns, disfigured, um, and 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 made in, rather than uh, a great a great person of beauty shining with the very divine light yeah. of God. On the cross, he becomes exactly the opposite. He becomes something that from which men turn their heads. Yeah. You know, they 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 shield their eyes because what they're seeing on the cross is failure. You know, um, uh, destitution, desolation. Um, which interesting goes back to the suffering servant images that you were talking about, Father Father Stephen right. Dominic. You know right. that here's my beloved in whom I have chosen, whom I have well pleased, but this same servant is going to suffer. It's going to, you know, by his stripes, we are going to be healed. So, but I, so I think when I see the transfiguration, I see that God wants to give at least these three disciples, and then through their word after the resurrection, all of the other disciples, he wants to give them hope that, um, yes, uh, we will go down into that, that valley. We will go down. Um, we will enter upon the passion. We will have our cross, but we will also have the resurrection. I think that's really beautiful. I, you know, I never thought of that before of, of transfiguration kind of in that sense, like, like, like in the, in the, the sort of moral application of it to our mm-hmm. lives where, um, where, where it's a sign of hope because I mean, we can, we can sort of apply I mean, stories in the gospel are there for us, right? Because they're, they're, they're paradigms, they're patterns according to which our life is shaped. And, you know, we of course say that like, just like Jesus suffered and died on the cross, the disciple is going to be conformed to Jesus and suffering and dying on the cross. But just like Jesus um, gave the disciples a transfiguration to kind and, and, and part of the point of the transfiguration is to show the point of the cross, mm-hmm. right? Like, like I can understand the cross better because I'm seeing who is crucified. Mm-hmm. I know that, like, okay, the cro- there has to be more to the story than just the cross. Even if I can't conceive what that might be, there has to be more than the story of just the cross because, whoa, look at this guy. Like, look at this guy. Well, so, so there's a kind of application to our life. Like, just like Jesus gave the disciples a glimmer of hope before the passion. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have passions and crosses in our life. But, but does God give us transfiguring moments, too? Like, I think, do we get to see transfiguring moments, you know, in the, in, in, in our own lives, like glimmers, like, like, like it's easy to see our sufferings, right? You know, and, and, and sometimes I have to suffer for Christ, but like, do we ever get those little moments where like the light of Tabor just appears in Christian life and be like, oh, that's what, that's what this is all really about. The, in this particular passage, now one of the problems with this story is that the account we normally read at mass stops where you stopped it. But there is actually, for instance, a continuation as they're walking down because they discuss something. They discuss, you know, Jesus said, they ask about Elijah coming, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, they've already, Elijah's already come. He's going to restore everything, but Elijah's already come. And they did to him, you know, uh, whatever they please. So also the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. This is somebody they know. John and James were his, were the Baptist disciples. This is, and all of a sudden, that whole pattern of the great history of salvation is no longer general. It's very specific, woven into the lives of people they know. First the Baptist, now Christ, and eventually themselves. Because mm-hmm. three three apostles are crucial figures you know, who all experience something of what Christ will experience. You know, James is the first of the martyrs. You know, Peter is the head. You know, the prince of the apostles will eventually give his life on the cross, you know. You know, and then and John, I think sometimes I cannot imagine his life without the great loneliness of being left behind, if you wish, as the only survi- apostle to survive 
into his into his eighties. So tra- transfiguration as a sign of theophany, the Trinity, as a sign of hope, as a an event that supplies the context for the crucifixion. What else, Father Stephen Alcott, do you see as the significance of the transfiguration? Um, I see it. I was just thinking about this. If the transfiguration, he only chooses three disciples, only three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. And even those three, he says, don't say anything about this. Not yet until mm-hmm. after, you know, after I'm glorified. But to contrast again, the cross, so many people. I mean, it couldn't be more obvious. They're crucified outside of the city. Yeah. When was it? It was during the Passover. Right. Where thousands upon thousands, maybe, Father, as you were saying, maybe tens of thousands, maybe. Yeah, Josephus suggests that 200,000 lambs. Maybe 200,000, more than two. That's just the lambs. So each one of those lambs has corresponding. And uh, he represents an offering of 10 to 20 pilgrims. Yeah, so we're hundreds of thousands of, uh, of no, people. No, we're millions. Millions. We're two point seven five million was the so, number so, I saw. <laughs> so the cross is not hidden from anyone. They, no. Anyone who wants to can see Jesus on the cross, you know. But only three were given to see the transfiguration. And we might think, well, why wouldn't he do it the other way around? Why wouldn't he say, well, let me just stand on, you know, instead of the Sermon on the Mount when all these crowds are coming, just now I'll transfigure myself there so everyone will see me. But he doesn't, you know. And I think he doesn't because um, he wants to give us a, a glimpse of that glory, but but he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea. Mm. He doesn't want people to get the idea that you know I you know I will just give you glory, just say the word and I'll give you glory. No, that something else has to come first. No. You know, right. love and 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 self gift and self sacrifice and the cross. Then then the glory comes. But he still, like you were saying, Father Peter, he does. He does give people those little glimmers of hope. And, and one other thing I'd like to bring in is uh, Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, when he wrote uh, his uh, apostolic exhortation, Vita Consecrata, this mm-hmm. is the controlling theme in that yeah. document about the consecrated life is the transfiguration. Yeah. You know, and so we do see some in the lives of, of persons. Yeah. You know, it might be someone in the consecrated life, but it, it could, you know, not necessarily, but it, it could be other people that, are little transfigurations for us that say, yeah, like you're saying, yeah, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. This is the reason that I get up every day. This yeah. is the reason that I'm 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 doing this. Yeah, you're like you're like, yeah, I know dozens of religious in my own community, and like, for one or two of them, you actually kind of see the light of Tabor, and you're like, huh, this does work at least one percent of the time. This does actually work, you know. It's <laughs> oh, more than that. If you look, this, this narrative for me really, you know, the Peter, uh, John, and uh, and James are woven into the narrative, not just of the life of Christ, but ju- by the fulfillment of the prophecies into the whole great sweep of the plan of God for the universe. And all of a sudden, they are living it concretely in their own life. They're part of the story now. Mm-hmm. You know, and they are, can begin to see themselves. This is the same way for us, I think. You know, and the cross of Christ. Each one of them has to experience some version of the cross of Christ. You know, and and I think that's the same way. I mean, Benedict the Sixteenth, I think, has said, you know, they that the God does not call us to comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, he calls us to greatness. Calls us to greatness. Mm-hmm. We are made for greatness, and it's. This kind of greatness that uh, we see the apostles being caught up in as they come down from Tabor. 
Wonderful, wonderful. So you're listening to Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Peter Tottleman, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and by Father Stephen Alcott, and we've been discussing the mystery of the transfiguration. And one of the things I think is interesting, we've talked about the, the transfiguration as a... Um, as a theophany, and we've talked about the effect that the transfiguration has had on the lives of Peter, James, and John. I think we can also think of the transfiguration as an anthropophany. An anthropophany, I think is how you say word. An anthropo- <laughs> an anthropophany. Right? You heard it here first on Dominican Dimensions. <laughs> it's going to be coming to theology texts uh soon. Uh, no, what, what it means is a revelation of what man is. This is there's this wonderful line in in the Second Vatican Council that Pope John Paul II always likes to um, quote. It's Gaudium et Spes, chapter twenty two, and it says, you know, Jesus Christ doesn't just reveal who God is; Jesus mm. Christ reveals who man is, mm. right? right? So, like one of the things that the Transfiguration shows us is it shows us our true meaning and our true purpose and our true destiny, right? Like. Because Jesus' human nature was, you know, hypostatically united to the second person of the Trinity. Mine is not. But nevertheless, it's still the same uh, human nature. Uh, The human nature that was capable of being transfigured in Christ is the human nature that I have. And so it shows me how I'm radically capable of God, right? Mm -hmm. It shows me what God is actually doing in my life. It shows shows, uh, the point of the crucifixion in another sense— that it shows that the, the point of the crucifixion is that 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 God says to me when I'm in Christ and transformed by Christ, and when my nature is transfigured um, by grace, the way that Jesus is, is by grace and by union, um, it sh- it says that, that that God says to me, you know, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It shows me it shows me what my life is really about. It shows me what it really means to be human. Uh, some people think that you know what it really means to be human is to be um, you know, fallible and, and erring and, and constantly going back and forth on yourself and struggling and having existential doubt and identity crisis and all this. And some people try to actually project that onto Jesus, and they say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, in order to be more human, must be, you know, doubting and erring and ignorant and, 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 and being, being you, know, you know, all of these things to be more like us. And it's like, no, 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 no. Jesus shows us what human nature really is meant mm. to be. Human nature isn't meant to be doubting and erring. It's meant to be knowing. Human nature isn't meant to be insecure. It's meant to be loving and confident of its identity in the Father. Human nature is made for transfiguration, which is just saying that it's made for resurrection. And immortality. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you know, the disciples see a body without, a transformed body without wounds, that will be not Christ's in heaven, because Christ bears his wounds as trophies, but that will be theirs. It will be mm-hmm. theirs. It's a prophecy of their own being brought to complete and full glory mm-hmm. in the world which is coming. In the new thing, which Isaiah 42 talks about, you know, that, um, behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's beautiful. I mean, that an anthropophany that we're. Oh, you actually pronounced it correctly. I coined the term and I can't <laughs> say it right, Father. And then anthropophany. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the fact that that we are we are 
that, that's that that's our destiny. That's that's the uh, that's what what he wants us to to be like. Um, and uh, and and you know there and and that's one of the most the most one of the, some of the most beautiful parts in the gospel uh, are to me the you know the resurrection appearances yeah. of of the Lord. You know that that people are you know what humanity is not supposed to be or not supposed yeah. to be for long. They are doubting, they're discouraged, they're down, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're dithering back and forth about like the disciples in Emmaus, you know, but Christ revealing himself in the breaking of the bread and they are just electrified with, by this, by this, by this life, life. And they run back 11 miles to tell the other disciples, you know, or Mary Magdalene, you know, seeing Christ, she thinks he's the gardener. She thinks he's stolen the body of Jesus, and he has because he is Jesus, you know. Um, and he calls her by name, and then she she experiences that. She sees she sees that glory, but it's but that that's that encounter with with the glory, you know, of of Christ. But but that's an encounter with the glory that he wants us to have too. Yeah, and I can't imagine that for James and Peter and John in the upper room. There wasn't something that snapped in their heads at the moment that they saw the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Oh, my heavens, I've seen him like this before. Right. I've right. seen him. All this was promise. All this, he's been in control all the time. Mm-hmm. He's not a victim. Right. You know, he is triumphant, mm-hmm. the triumphant Messiah, the, the God King mm-hmm. uh, prophesied to David. Right, and the fact that he'd revealed that to them ahead of time, he said they could say, "Well, no, this just wasn't." A, I mean, Jesus wasn't surprised that he rose from right. the dead. No, he knew this the whole time. He revealed to us. He showed us. He told us. We knew it. We we didn't think of it. It's you know, we we didn't believe it. We doubted it, but we saw it. But to, yeah, but, but, but he but, said you know, so. We doubted it, but to be fair, we were dealing with unprecedented events too. <laughs> True. You know, like True. But no, I um um the train the um. Um, the transfiguration is just this classical event uh, in, in the religious life, in the life of the saints. But what I like to see is is um, the transfiguration happens every time on earth the way when holiness happens, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you see that, like, when you see a real saint, they, they, they almost, like, glow. Like, there's almost something physical about mm-hmm. their holiness, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you, you, you actually see it change in people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just visiting the other day. I got to see St. Catherine Parish has a beautiful new sure. parish center and chapel, and they have some beautiful paintings there. And and the paintings, it's like there's no there's no special effect in the painting, but you just see like St. Josephine Bakita, you know, St. Teresa of Calcutta. Yeah. I mean, they do. They just kind of like, yeah. you just know when you see them, this is yeah. this is something of God. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's going to be more and more the unanswerable the unanswerable sign and wonder that we have to present to the world mm-hmm. is actually going to be the beauty of our internal culture um but also like the beauty of of our saints um i've been thinking about this a lot lately just just different kinds of saints i've been thinking about the martyrs in particular but but you know you can transfer this to all sorts of other saints i was thinking of like for example like the French martyrs of Compiègne. So there were a group of Carmelite nuns who during the reign of terror were systematically executed as a religious community in front mm-hmm. of everybody. Mm-hmm. And they went to their death, the youngest one being like 16 years old, all the way up to like women who had spent their whole life in Carmel. Um, 
you know, as an act of religious obedience, seeing the Te Deum and, and, and the Veni Crater Spiritus and all the, the raging crowds just grew completely silent as they watched these nuns offer themselves to the guillotine. And, and it, just, it just changed the world. It was an unanswerable proof that their lives were directed to a higher mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. They saw their identity. They saw what God was calling them to. They saw that on the other side of the cross, there was a resurrection. I mean, the, 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 their reaction was just not what normal people do. Right. But like it was unanswerable. I mean, like like just by any human prudence or logic, just like what they did was just not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about Saint Maximilian Kolbe. You know, you you see this right? Like by any human prudence, by any prudent logic, you know, when you're in Auschwitz and somebody else has got picked to die, and you got skipped, and someone <laughs> else got picked to die, there's no human prudence or logic in you know in a place where it's like survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. In some sense, I suppose that's you know. There's no human logic by which you would choose to die and then then go to your death singing in the starvation bunker, mm, yeah. like 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 that just answers to a, to a totally different power inside of you, a totally different energy inside of you, totally way that you're directed, a totally different identity that you have, right? right. And I I think I think that that's really what we're called to do is is the glory of Tabor is meant to shine through our lives because we've beheld it you know, on the holy mountain. We've beheld it, we've seen the cross, we've seen the resurrection, we've seen Tabor. And and really what our mission, the mission really of the church, I think, is to be Tabor mm-hmm. for people. And that's not to divorce the life of the church from the cross, but it's actually to show the beauty of the cross shining forth through holiness. It's 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 actually an interesting question. When was Jesus when it's an interesting point to ponder in meditation is when was Jesus more beautiful? When he was dying on the cross, or when he was transfigured on Tabor, hmm. and it's a good, it's a, it's a great, and of course, it's, it's an either or question. You're not supposed to pick one or the other, but like <laughs> you know, but like, but like you know, but but it's an actually to, to to play around with that in your mind or in your meditation. Like when you look at Jesus in the Eucharist, when you're praying to our Lord, to to, to ask like, when were you more beautiful when you were? transfigured on Tabor or when you died on the cross. And all of a sudden you kind of start to realize that like there are two sides of the same coin, right? The right. glory of Tabor is the glory that shined forth on the cross. So with that in mind, thank you for joining us today for the Dominican dimensions. My name is father Peter Tottleman. I'm a friar at St. Patrick parish in Columbus. And I've been joined in the studio today by father Stephen Dominic Hayes and father Stephen Alcott. Let's end now in prayer. O light of the church, teacher Teacher of truth, truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni Sancti.